America is many things to many people. Many things to many people. To mother and her family, it's church on Sunday morning. It's all races, creeds, and religions. Church on Sunday morning. Greetings, folks, and welcome to another episode of White Nation Under God. This is a special podcast miniseries, part of the Footnotes podcast, which I regularly host. We've had an incredible series so far, and to round it out, this final episode I know is going to be special. I have with me someone who's got an incredibly interesting story, one I think is going to help shape and reshape your ideas about white Christian nationalism and what to do about it. I'm glad to know this, brother. Glad we got to be friends over the years. Welcome to Footnotes, Chuck Armstrong. Thank you, uh, Dr. Tisby. It's uh, it's good to be here, man. <laughs> yes, I appreciate that. I'm still getting used to the title, but you can feel free <laughs> to throw it around anytime. Um, so, Chuck, you and I, I think the first time we made an acquaintance was what back 2017 or something uh, a church conference maybe even before yeah that. <laughs> no I, I think that was uh i think that was it i mean i i had started hearing your name a little bit prior to that conference and then uh you and i recorded actually something like this uh in person a uh a, a podcast episode um and talking about your upcoming book the color of compromise so oh, that would have been goodness. A few months before it actually released. Okay, so it was 2018. My goodness. There you go. Four yeah. times. That's um, right, man. That's right. <laughs> I had a great time there. Uh, we connected. I really appreciated the interview that you did afterwards, and we sort of kept in touch after that. Uh, for folks who are just being introduced to you, tell us a little about where you are now, where you're located, what kind of work you do, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, uh, I, my family and I, we live in New York City. We have lived here uh, coming up on 13 years. Um, wow. And so my wife and I moved here in 2010. And uh, we have two kids. We actually have a third on the way. Hey, uh, and so thank you. Thank you. So that's going to make uh, New York City uh, even more interesting for sure. Um, I, I have a background in, uh, in broadcast and media and uh, but uh, f several years ago, around the time that I, I met you, a, f a few years before that, I uh, felt this call to uh, attend seminary. And so I attended a, a local seminary in New York City while still working in me in media and uh, kind of in that process felt this, this urge to go all in full time in ministry. And so I uh, started working at a, uh, the church that my wife and I were attending um, very lucky to, to, you know, find a, a job with them. And that's, was the church with that, that held the conference that you and I met. So very grateful for that experience. Um, in that experience kind of felt this, this other urge to remain in ministry, but not in this full-time vocational kind of big church sense. And so mm. actually, um, spent a little time working for a, a nonprofit in New York and then found my way back into media uh, while also planting a church uh, in my neighborhood in Hell's Kitchen uh, in New York City. 
uh, we that the church. Uh, that's right. Yes, that's right. Uh, no, that's all right. I'll take that one. That's what I'll take that. I'll take that. Rauschenbusch, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Walter Rauschenbusch uh, had two churches here. It's where he wrote uh, his his social gospel. Uh, it's also where the the Christian Missionary Alliance really kind of had had its major footprint. Um, and there's still remnants of, of, of those folks in Hell's Kitchen. In fact, uh, the church that, that Rauschenbusch built, um, I think it was funded by, by a Rockefeller. Uh, it still stands today. Uh, it's actually a Broadway theater. And so, uh, but it's interesting kind of piece of, piece of that history. So, yeah, so uh, that's, you know, kind of briefly uh, where I'm at. Um, you know, we planted that church. Uh, we, we officially launched in January of 2020. <laughs> one wow. 2020 okay. it must so have been 21 eight weeks or so <laughs> <laughs> before the just, pandemic yeah just uh quite a quite an experience so well thank you for that update what strikes me about your life what i know of it is is one of transformation and transition and i want to say that takes courage it is a lot easier to stay in a place that is not healthy, maybe not even comfortable, but it's familiar. And a lot of people choose to do that. We're all tempted to do that. But it, it, it appears to me from the, from the trajectory of your life that you've considered decisions deeply. And when the time has come, you've chosen to step out on faith, do something different. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you today. Um, <laughs> I appreciate it, uh, that. Yeah, man. I, 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 I'm not that old, but the older I get, the more <laughs> character matters. Character matters, right? We, we, we are so often enraptured and seduced by certain kinds of achievement, right? And a lot of times the folks who achieve at that level uh, don't necessarily exhibit the character that is healthy, um, let alone uh, for Christians that that always models Christ. So when I find those folks, I think it's important to hear from them, especially as we talk about transitions and the courage to make different decisions and something like white Christian nationalism. So you told me a bit of your story as we were getting to know each other. You also wrote an article on Medium that really dives into it, and I'll, I'll post a link to that in the show notes. But I wanted folks to hear from you about your background in conservative media, uh, working for the conservative media, you know, the pinnacle of it uh, in terms of a radio host personality, and sort of your journey into and out of that particularly in relation to religion. So maybe to kick us off, talk us through your upbringing in terms of what messages you were hearing, both politically and religiously. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I grew up in a, 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 what, I would, what, I, what I have always called and what I would still call a strong Christian household uh, in, uh, in, in the Midwest, in Northeast Kansas, um, on a farm, three miles outside of a town of 150 people. Um, so, you know, just really, really country, really kind of in the uh, middle of middle of nothing. <laughs> um, so you were in the suburbs of this 150 person right. town. That's right. Wow. That's right. right. That's right. 
Um, and uh, my dad's a, a pastor. He was when I was young, still is today, coming up on, I think, 42 years. Right. A small, small community, um, small community church um, near, near where we lived. He also ran, still runs uh, a business uh, that his dad ran. And so mm. um, I grew up, grew up seeing him um, do, you know, what we call, what pastors call bivocational ministry. Uh, he was working six days a week, preaching on Sundays, doing funerals, weddings, hospital visits throughout the week. And uh, that was normal. You know, that was, that was the norm to me. Um, and really grateful for that. I uh, think, you know, he Baptist, really, non-denominational, uh, so, you know, because of just kind of the location and, and its history, it really, uh, functioned as a non-denominational church, but had, has Baptist ties. It's a, it's a, uh, it's the Christian church is the, the sub-denomination, um, which is a great name of a denomination. <laughs> right. uh, very, um, very distinctive. Yes. Uh, and so, uh, you know, grew up with that and, and just really grateful. My dad has and continues to speak into my life as a, exactly what you said is as character matters. Um, I think one of the biggest lessons he's taught me is, you know, your, your word matters, what mm. you say matters. And so that was, uh, you know, my upbringing, I'm the youngest of, of five, just, yeah, that, that's where I grew up. I grew up then in the summers working on, on the family farm. And, uh, it was, you know, kind of that experience, I think working on the family farm where I found myself really, really consumed by radio, uh, both by music radio and also by conservative talk radio. And, you know, when you talk about talk radio, you don't, you've never really had much of an option between conservative and not conservative. It's, mm. you know, that that's just what was on the air. But as I spent hours sitting in a tractor or driving a truck or things like that, I would, you know, flip between music, talk radio, music, talk radio. And for the most part, the voice uh, from the talk radio world that would fill whatever uh, cockpit I was sitting in uh, was uh, Rush Limbaugh. And so just, you know, he, he was a master, uh, storyteller, a master communicator, and, mm. um, it just really, you know, just enveloped, enveloped me as I, as I listened. Did this go along with, I saw you posted on Instagram, some, uh, pictures from a Metallica concert. Is that the music you were <laughs> yeah. listening to right next yeah, to Rush Limbaugh? Okay. Yeah, was, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, I don't want to connect the, I don't want to make any connections here, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had, I grew up listening to a, a rock radio station outside of Kansas city. And, um, so I'd, you know, flip between, <laughs> between these two. Okay. I was just wondering um, if that was allowed or anything, but oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, so yeah. was now shaping you. All right. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going to church every Sunday. Um, you know, and, and if I'm driving with the family, we, we would always be listening to music or if depending on the day, depending on the time of the day, might have Rush Limbaugh on. And though I don't remember, you know, a ton of specific sort of like moments where, whoa, Rush, you know, shaped me or, or really pierced me. Uh, I, I remember it always sort of being part of the background, part of mm. what I was listening to. And I can I can certainly remember uh, some of the moments of Rush, some of the parody songs that he would play and um, wow. some some of those things. And, you know, for me, as, as, as I've been thinking about this, you know, just uh, as I've gotten older, <laughs> Dr. Tisby, and as, <laughs> as I think, as I reflect, um, you know, one, one of the things that has stood out to me is I think I was initially drawn to Rush, talk radio, news, politics, 
just in general, because uh, I wanted to connect with my dad. Wow. And I wanted to I wanted to connect with my cousin who ran who runs the family farm, and I wanted to connect with kind of these older people in my life who I knew loved that loved Rush. And so if I if I could listen to Rush, and if I could, you know, kind of process what he's saying, and then spit it out and connect with him in that way, uh, you know, that was that was a win for me. Just like so, some folks would connect over a television show or baseball or something. This, this, that's right. Yeah. A, a relational right. bridge. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I never, uh, yeah, it, it, that's exactly what it was. I, that's, you know, I, I don't want to call it a void, but that's sort of whatever, you know, blank space that a son and his dad have to connect. That's for me, at least right or wrong. Um, for me, that's how I perceived it. That's, that's kind of what I gravitated to. And, mm. Uh, even more so than as I grew older. And so uh, when I applied for college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And so this isn't a slight to anybody, but I, I uh, uh, applied for uh, education. I was going to you know, be a teacher. And um, as I got into education, uh, the classes, you know, I, I just knew that wasn't what I wanted to do and got connected to the student radio station at my college. And uh, I had never, I loved radio, loved listening to radio, never thought it was like a job or a real thing that real people do. But then I got this opportunity to be on the air for this student uh, radio station. And uh, I mean, just like a a flip was, a switch was flipped, just Mm. fell in love, head over heels uh, for the entire medium, whether it was hosting a music show or, or whatever, producing uh, do, writing news. I just, I fell in love with it. And so quickly changed my, my degree to journalism and, and mass communications. And, mm. um, while I was always hosting a music show, I also started hosting a, uh, talk show and it was called the right track. Uh, um, nice play on words. Uh, yeah, that's also the, uh, the title of a, a Ray Charles song. And so that was my theme song. Um, oh my. And so it was, uh, as you can tell from the, the name of this show, uh, incredibly conservative, you know, the right track, get on the right track. Ray Charles would sing, get on the right track, baby. And so that's, that was sort of my, my, my mantra. Um, the irony of, you know, <laughs> choosing a Ray Charles song for that. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if Ray Charles would have agreed yeah. with maybe some yeah. of the content, but. <laughs> yeah, that the irony doesn't escape me, uh, you know, years later, but um but what I what I what I started noticing was the more I was into the show and the more I interviewed people, I, I you know I, I brought on people. I the first interview I did was uh, Shirley Phelps from the West Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas. Wow. And um, you know, tell, really tell us about Westboro just real quick. Yeah, they're you know they're the uh, the church. Fred Phelps, Fred Phelps, I believe, founded the church. Um, but they're the the folks who will picket funerals with heinous signs that say God hates and you can fill in the blank for your favorite yeah. slur. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, or you, you know, they blame nine 11 on fill in your favorite slur and they'll pick at the funerals of, of soldiers of, you know, or, or they'll be at any major event. So if there's a big concert, uh, it, you know, nearby, they'll go pick at that concert because they know they're, they're going to see 20,000 people. Right. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a shock value for sure, but it is absolutely, exactly absolutely what they believe. Um, kind of and the so worst caricature of 
far right Christianity you could think. Yeah, of. And, yeah, and that's yeah. your first first guest. All right, and so that's my first guest. And but but my but I took her on. I was against her, and so oh, okay. I had this opportunity to uh, actually position myself still as a conservative, but I'm not that kind of a conservative. Oh, uh, you know, I, I'm not. You know, so. Uh, and, and so, um, yeah, so that was sort of the, the posture I took in that, but then, you know, future interviews, I, I, I chatted with, with Republican senators, uh, authors, um, uh, and, um, some names escape me, of course. Um, but, uh, actually in the medium article that you'll link to, I, I, I mentioned, uh, several of the, of the people I, I had the chance to interview. And no. so as I'm do, oh, go just, ahead, just pausing for a second, thinking about, What's your demo? What's the demographics of of your world right now? And growing up, and then now you're in college. Um, you have a racially and ethnically diverse set of friends. Is it mostly homogenous? Yeah, I mean, it, it was you know mostly ninety nine percent white, uh, white you know lower middle class people. You know, everybody would go to church, um, and the, that's where I grew up. And then going to to college, you know, twenty twenty five thousand students on campus, certainly more diverse, the yeah. people I was around, not, not, it, it reflected, not so yeah, it reflected similar. And I wouldn't say that was a, you know, you know, I wouldn't say that was a conscious decision sure. where I picked, you know, I thought I was picking and choosing, but certainly kind of to something you said earlier, you know, comfortable, familiar, um, mm-hmm. that definitely was where I gravitated to. And um, religion yeah. wise, I mean, as you're thinking about faith, it sounds like you're you're a faithful Christian at this point, even as a young yeah. man. Yeah, you know, this, and this is this this would be another article and another conversation. Um, All right. But as I as I uh, as I got to college, so I'm the youngest of five. I'm a preacher's kid. Uh, when I was in high school, I mean, you know, we're friends. I'll just uh, let's let's shoot straight. Uh, when I was in high school, I, I, I got arrested for drinking um, when I was mm-hmm. uh, 17, 16 or 17. And um, for my family, you know, R-rated movies, music, none of that was a thing. Uh, you, you could kind of watch whatever you want, listen to whatever you want. Um, drinking, though, was an absolute, you know, that, that you know, because it, it changes your, 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 your state. It, you know, nothing good comes out of drinking. And... Um, so of course, as the youngest kid, as a preacher's kid, I started drinking <laughs> when I was, and I think I had my first beer when I was 14 and, uh, you know, unbeknownst to my parents and, and all of that. Um, so my parents were out of town one weekend and I went to a friend's house and turned into a party of about 20, 20 kids and, and we all got arrested. And, mm. um, you know, probably the, you know, the most disappointing, the biggest disappointment that could ever occur in our family was that. Um, yeah. and, uh, and yet, you know, and, and so for the next year, I, which was my senior year, um, I was basically just grounded and lived at home. Uh, and so never drank, never partied, kind of had this, what I felt like was this transformation of like, maybe I'm kind of past that, you know, acting like a, a you know, a, punk preacher's kid or whatever. When I got to college, I mean, like, like that back into it because now I'm on my own. Right. Yeah. I, my parents are, are hundreds of miles away. I, I can, I can do whatever I want and uh, everybody else is doing whatever they want. And so really quickly fell back into drinking um, and partying. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't about drinking alcohol. It was more about 
the party is more about being the center of attention. So I share all of that because uh, you, you, you kindly said it seemed like I was being a faithful Christian. And uh, I would do all of this Saturday night, you know, be, go home drunk, and I'd wake up and I'd go to church. Mm-hmm. That was like built into me, who I was. It had no matter what happened, I had to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, fortunately, that, that kind of season of my life didn't last uh, very long into college, into my college years. Um, but that was always part of it. It was, you know, church, man, I never missed church, mm-hmm. whether I was hungover or not, you know, what, no matter what I did or said the day before I was at church um, on, on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. So then you're, you're, you're uh, gripped by, by mass communications, you're radio show host, and you're a young guy and you've got ambition. Where does that ambition lead you career-wise? So I knew I wasn't a great music DJ. I knew how to work stories about politics and mm-hmm. how to how to rile people up. Mm-hmm. I was writing I, as I was as I was doing this show. I was also writing a weekly column for the student newspaper. Did that and have a title? Uh, no title, uh, okay. but I was. Yeah, I only had Write, one in me. Writing, R-I-G-H-T-W-R-I-T-I-N-G. <laughs> I, uh, uh, but I was certainly the, you know, if you, know, if you, if you want to stereotype a, a student newspaper a little more liberal than conservative, more, way more liberal than conservative, I was the crazy conservative columnist. Mm. Um, and so I, you know, I, and I, I would write into that stereotype and rile people up. So I just, I, I, I gravitated toward like, man, I know how to do this. I, I can, you know, I can say the right things to get, to tick people off and, and I'm making these connections with, you know, all these authors and, and, and politicians. And so, um, it comes time in my degree to get an internship credit. You have to get an internship credit. And, um, so my advisor who, uh, man, I just, I love, um, and he couldn't have been more left, of everything I was doing, but he was such a good, such a good advisor to me and such a good friend. Um, he asked me, what's your dream job? Answer that question and then go get that internship. Mm. And I mean, you know, regardless of industry, it's probably the best advice, um, you could give to a, you know, 20 year old, 21 year old as they're trying to figure out their, what they want to do. Um, and so in my head, I instantly answered, uh, I want to be Rush Limbaugh or I want to be the next Rush Limbaugh. Um, and so I started looking like, how do I, how do I get an internship with Rush Limbaugh? I couldn't figure it out, but I had a friend, uh, who the year before interned with, uh, Sean Hannity in, in New York city and in, in the world of radio, when Rush was alive and on the air, Rush was number one and Hannity was number two. And it was, it was, and he was very proud of being number two to Rush, um, cause nobody would ever, you know, unseat Rush. And so. Uh, I thought, all right, I want to be the next Rush Limbaugh I'm intern for Sean Hannity. That's not a bad, not a bad consolation. Um, and so, uh, for a summer before my senior year, uh, moved to New York City, uh, got an apartment on Craigslist, uh, sight unseen. <laughs> so that's how long ago it was. <laughs> and not recommended, but hey, it was yes. a different era, different time. <laughs> and uh, for that summer, interned with his show, but then also like really just went all into that, to the radio station. And, and, and I started interning with 
all of these different shows. I interned with Curtis Sliwa, who uh, recently was a Republican candidate for mayor of New York City, um, and and a few other shows. I got to know Mark Levin and and um, and just a few other people. Goodness. And so immediately uh, you're plugged into the upper echelons of conservative. Plugged in. Yeah. Talking heads kind of a thing. Yeah. And you want to talk about a dream come true. I mean, man, that was it. And that's that summer also started transforming me to realize I don't think I want to be the next Rush Limbaugh. I want to be the next sort of kingmaker of the mm. next Rush Limbaugh. I want to run the radio station that 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 those people come out of. And so I finished my internship, went back, finished college, got a job in, in Kansas City and always had this like, man, I gotta get, I gotta get back to New York. And my wife was very supportive of that too. And so anytime a job opportunity arose, I'd apply whether, I, you know, as a, as a good white man, whether I was qualified or not, I applied and, 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 you know, try to try to knock down every door. And, uh, eventually I applied for a job that I was actually qualified for. And that was about 13 years ago. It was with the station that I in, interned with. So I got to go back into this world of, of people I was familiar with kind of, you know, remake these, the, these relationships and, and, and it was behind the scenes, which is exactly what I wanted. I didn't want to be the guy. I wanted to kind yeah. of be helping. And, and uh, your, is your wife yeah. conservative too? She's, she's cool with all of this. Yeah. You know, she certainly would. Uh, yeah. I mean, she would, at that time she would have identified as, as conservative, um, not like me. <laughs> and in fact, uh, I remember, uh, there's a couple instances that really stand out to me in college. I can't remember what the column was. I think the column was very uh, anti-recycling <laughs> and oh. I wrote it and, and, and she was really mad about that. Cause she's, she, as much, she always likes kind of cracking this joke, but you know, she would say she was conservative cause she wants to conserve the environment. She wants to conserve, you know, these, these kinds of things. And so, um, you know, so she hated that column. And then in Kansas city, I, I, I guest hosted a, a talk show and she called in, uh, to sort of like go at, go at me about some environmental things that I was really, really, uh, railing against. And wow. so your wife but, you calls know. the radio show you're hosting <laughs> to disagree with you on air. I like yeah. her. Um, she's great. She's let, amazing. Let, let me ask you this, because one of the reasons I think your story is so valuable is, is it gives us some perspective. So as you're writing against recycling, <laughs> for example, and I'm sure there's a host of other issues, are you, are you like really deeply believing this? Or is this more like, I know this is going to be provocative and lead to the kind of response I want? I mean, what, how, 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 how conscious are you about what you're doing in terms of you know, these issues and these policies and these stances, which so many people, and even in some cases, science would disagree with? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I think, I think to a degree, I believed it, you know, like I, this is, you know, I'm, this is, my, I, I believe this, I'm not just, I'm not just saying this to get a rise out of people, but I was certainly way more driven by that, by mm. this is provocative. I believe it enough that I don't feel bad about saying this stuff. Mm. And so I didn't, I never felt like I was lying. Um, but you know, it wasn't shaping my life. I, you know, I didn't have, um, I wasn't like throwing aluminum cans out in the front yard cause I hate, you know, I hate the earth or anything like that. And, um, I, I never, you know, waved a Confederate flag or anything, you know, like, like I'm like the, the sort of stereotypical things you would think of someone who like deeply held these beliefs. Um, but 
on some level, and maybe we'll get into this later, I actually think that's almost worse, mm. uh, where it, it was so subtle that I believe these things, but that's not what was driving me. I cared more about the, if you want to call it power, the, you know, the provocation, whatever that was. And so I would have said, I would have said anything if I knew it was going to light up the phones, if I knew it was going to get comments from the paper, uh, I would have said anything. And I did. And I, I mean, I, for the, for the most part I, I did. Um, and I got fired from the newspaper because of that. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, uh, but you know, was I going home and, and seething at the liberals or, or whatever? Not really. Um, mm-hmm. still, you know, but, but yeah, I think, I think I believed it enough that it never felt like a lie to me. Yeah. Uh, it was, but I, but I was way more driven by the riling people up, the provocation yeah. of it. Yeah. Was there, was there any persuading you otherwise at that point? I mean, let's take an issue like recycling. Was there any like, okay, well, I can see their point. They may have a point kind of a thing, or were you so deep in it? It was just like impervious to, you know, any, any other perspective. Yeah, I was, you know, I, I read enough of, I read enough to be, you know, I, I read enough to be smart. Uh, in, in if, if, if like my wife came at me about recycling, you know, like obviously I didn't hate her for it or anything like that. And it, it never caused any deep issues, but I, I'm sort of embarrassed by this, but what really shaped me in a lot of these things was, um, Penn and Teller had a, had a show called BS. I don't, you know, just for the sake of your audience, I don't want to say it, but, and, and for 30 minutes, they, they would take a topic and they would unpack why the general reaction for that topic is BS. Hmm. And so, you know, they would, and so recycling was one. And actually, you know, I, I don't want to paint Penn and Teller in this picture because I, I don't quite remember, but it, there was enough in that episode where it was like, recycling is not that, it's not that helpful. Um, and so, you know, I would watch that, that would just, I would soak that up and then I would run with that. Um, Mm. and so that's, you know, that, that, that was their persuading. I'd get in arguments with people. Um, but there was no, there was no voice in my life that overpowered those kinds of voices. Yeah. Yeah. So now you're working at the radio station full time. It's a real legit job. It's a dream job in, in a lot of ways you're behind the scenes, um, now you, you, you're behind the curtains. You see how the sausage is made. Is your perspective changing at all at this point? Uh, in the immediate sense, it wasn't. Um, and in fact, it was even better than ever before because mm. I wasn't an intern. I, you know, I, like you said, I was, I had a real job and, um, and even beyond that, uh, the, the people I, I, I got to work with, uh, now I was working closer with, I wasn't, again, I wasn't just interning or helping them. I was actually kind of helping shape things and, and getting to work with, uh, at the time that I, I moved to New York, I got to work with uh, Don Imus and, and his morning show. And wow. uh, this would have been about two or three years after he was fired for the comments he made about, about Rutgers women's basketball team. Um, mm-hmm. and, and just to remind folks, Don Imus, cons- conservative radio host uh made a very disparaging remark um about black women uh playing basketball and it it caused an outrage this is uh i don't i don't know the early 2000s i want to say it was 07 maybe yeah Yeah. 06 07 so that's your circle yeah yeah and so and that's and so immediately i was you know just 
overcome with excitement and joy that, that man, I'm surrounded by the voices that I was listening to growing up. And not only that, to kind of bring this back to something I said, uh, I'm surrounded by the voices that I know my dad likes. Uh And so now all of a sudden I'm, I'm emailing my dad or sending pictures like, Hey, look at me with, with Imus, look at me with, you know, whatever. Um, look at me on this boat with Roger Ailes, uh, from Fox news. Uh, Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, you want to talk about like feeling like I finally hit that point of connection or impressing or whatever. Um, now my dad would tell you, I didn't need to do any of that, of course. And so I'm not putting this on my dad. I'm, I, I own, I own this, but this is just my perspective. Um, yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like the, the dad who's the football fan. Now his son's in the NFL, yeah. you know, that's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And if so it was a touch point before now it's like, that's right. Super. Yeah. yeah. Got it. And so you, so, so you, so you have to now start kind of taking into my, my desire to, to provoke, you know, to, to provoke people. That's in, that's one thing, but also it's all wrapped up in this kind of deeply emotional relational connection I want to have. And I had, I have with my dad. And so it's not just a job, right? And now it's like, this is next level. This is, this is like who I am. This is in, in, in me. And it's, it's, it's connecting me even deeper and deeper. And so, you know, when my parents would visit, I get to take them to Fox news and give them a tour or, or have them meet some of the hosts and that kind of thing. And it was just, you know, it was like a dream come true, but it didn't take long to, to really start feeling like I was losing something Hmm. like I was getting tired, depleted, depleted is always kind of the word I, I, I think about and, um, what I realized was because of my job, I was listening to, to this radio station, probably about 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day. And, uh, every single show was the same. It would be, you know, promoting the same thing, saying the same thing. And if you want to, you know, take a trip back in time to 2010, 2011, uh, President Obama was in the White House. And so every sort of comment was, how do we get him out? How do we stop him? And I didn't probably realize it at the time, but I think it started planting seeds, just how related that was to his skin color. And yeah. uh, not just politics, but, 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 to, but to race. And Eventually, uh, it just it it depleted me, and I remember distinctly sitting on the couch in my apartment by myself. My my wife wasn't home, and like tears were just streaming down my face. It was the end of the day; tears were just streaming down my face, and it wasn't because I was sad, and I wasn't even like uh, uh, n- crying. Like I wasn't actively crying. I was just like so overwhelmed with whatever was happening uh, in my in my head and in my heart that um, it was just. Uh, it was, it was overtaking me. And so, um, eventually, uh, left that station and went to another media company, uh, in a much different role. That's sort of also when I began very small steps toward a deeper transformation of my political beliefs, how those politics shape or are connected to my faith. Um, because the other part of all this, so I mentioned, you know, provoking people, my dad, the other part of this is my faith. Uh, I still still going to church every Sunday. My wife and I are super active in this church in New York City. 
And one of the things that this church preached a lot about was faith and work and, you know, what it meant to be a good Christian in your, in your job. And so I'm, I'm first time I'm really thinking about that in my life. So that's all kind of rattling in my head too. And so uh, all of this comes together. I leave that radio station. That was, that was now about 10 years ago, nine, nine or 10 years ago. And so, I would say probably about seven or eight years ago is when I really felt deeper tran- transformation. Is that depletion you were talking about is, is, and, and church and learning about faith and work, is that part of why you left this original job or it was mostly a, just a kind of professional decision? It was both. So it was almost like a gift from God at the, because in the middle of all of this, the company that owned the radio station got bought by another company and it, 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 it uh, was not a good experience. I'll just say. Okay. And so I, I almost had this freedom to leave because mm-hmm. like, uh, because of that. Um, and, and so, yeah, all of this came together sort of in the perfect, perfect combination and that's what, what led me to leave. And then when you go get to this new job, is that similar conservative radio kind of stuff? Well, you know, any talk radio is conservative. Uh, it, 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 just, <laughs> right. it, it just is what it is, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, but, but the company, uh, you know, that wasn't the sort of, that's not why I was hired. Okay. And that's not what my focus was. And so I was able to... Um, still stay in this medium that I loved and that I really believed in and that I knew was so powerful, um, but also focus elsewhere. And were you still listening to the radio 10, 12 hours a day or had that shifted too? Cause I'm curious if, you know, if, if that's somehow reduced and, and your, your intake of this stuff is reduced, does that give you more space to begin to think differently? Yeah, that's a great question. And it did. And so I wasn't listening to these same hosts back to back to back to back, five, six days a week. Instead, I'm, you know, I'm doing more kind of office work and able to, yeah, I guess maybe have my own thoughts, you know, think my own things and also, yeah, just sort of be aware of other opinions because now I'm not working in this one sort of space. I'm, it's a much bigger space, much broader, many more different opinions, many more different perspectives. And I think that gave me that, that sort of, um, ability to to take a step back so there's almost i don't know in your life there's probably not just one singular moment of a before and after but to talk to you now and to know your beliefs and what you're about and how you know sort of broad-minded you are how intentional you are about uh diverse relationships and 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 thinking it would it almost seems like you're a different person now i'm about you know integrating all of our experiences. So I don't want to set that up, but I mean, was, could you point to an idea, a theme, a season that led you to finally make a a real kind of definitive break with this sort of conservative media world? Yeah. Well, and I wouldn't even say conservative media, I would say conservative world, just this, the, the political beliefs and everything. Cause that was all part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Man, if you want to get real, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you two instances, and they they both uh, are connected to you. I don't know if you know this or not, uh, but the first is is the color of compromise. Um, you know, when you and I had that podcast conversation, uh, and then when I when I, I I just consumed the color of compromise um, immediately, it shattered me. You know, as I know, it shattered most people who read it. 
um, because it gave me a history I had never heard before. Or if I had heard snippets of, I ignored or I, I explained away. And so it completely, completely changed me. Now I was on the path of this transformation prior to that, sure. but, um, but that was a distinct moment. Um, and then I'll tell you this and I guess, you know, I guess I can be honest with you. Right. Right. Dr. Tisby. For sure. And I don't, that podcast episode that we recorded never, uh, aired. It was never published. And that was a decision. Uh, so the podcast was recorded for the church and that was a decision made by the church. They didn't want to, they didn't want to publish it. And, um, I wasn't part of major conversations around that decision, but I know that it was because, well, you know, Jamar Tisby, he's a little controversial, you know, he's so race focused and, and this and that. And man, it, it, it just, it, it, it hit me that like, I'm, I'm here and I'm taking a paycheck and I'm friends with this, with this, this amazing guy who totally changed my life and he probably doesn't even know it. And I've got this great conversation with him and it's going to sit on a shelf uh, because of the things that changed me, <laughs> you know, it, wow. just to be real. And uh, that was, that was a, that was like the turning point for me where I, I knew that I needed to, to leave that particular um, setting because uh, I couldn't be, I couldn't be complicit. And the longer I stayed there, the more complicit I was. And and I remember you came to New York for a conference and you and I had lunch uh, and I kind of told you this and I remember you not being surprised hmm. as if, as if this has happened before <laughs> where your voice has been, uh, you know, ignored or quieted. And, and I just, man, I thought to myself, I'm like, I, I can't, you know, I, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. Um, and so those, you know, those, those, those two moments, those are big, big moments because the book changed me. But then that was a decision I had to make when with the podcast thing, that wasn't just a, oh man, that changed me. It was a, okay, I have to, I have to do something. I have to actually take a step. I actually have to sacrifice, probably sacrifice something, maybe lose something uh, to, to do this. And yeah. And, and, and then I'll it, just say, I knew about the interview part. Um, and you're right. It didn't surprise me. It's, it's happened before where I've presented and they normally, you know, post the recording and they don't post mine or, you know, we do an interview and it doesn't see the light of day. I didn't know about the book and, um, the, the, the sort of perspective shifting that, that helped, um, and so I, I want my listeners to know that's not why you're on the show. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's, it's because it's because of that last part that you, you just started talking about to say that the longer I was there, the more I felt complicit and I had to make a change. And I think that part is where a lot of people choose to stay rather than do what you did, which is, which is go and make a change. And can you talk about that at all or, or maybe even talk to folks who are in that position? I'm curious about what it was about your thinking or your context that said, 
I will step out into the unknown because you had a, I mean, your, your literal paycheck is on the line here. Talking about switching jobs. This isn't just like, it, as hard as it is to switch churches, for most people, their their paycheck isn't attached to it, right? So can you walk us through that a little bit um, and, and why you actually ended up choosing to take that step? Yeah, I mean, you know, be as you might imagine, as as influential and and and, and helpful as your words were in my life, uh, you weren't the only voice speaking in my life. And so I was reading other books. I was just devouring uh, other things, and 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 so much started changing that perspective and and adding to that transformation. And so. Um, you know, as I read The Color of Compromise, I, I you know, I also read uh, Seeing Jesus in East Harlem by, by Jose Humphreys, who has become a, a good friend of mine and, and who has totally shaped how I view ministry in a neighborhood context and seeing people as sacred and, and listening to their stories as sacred stories. Um, you know, Daniel Hill and David Swanson as, as two white pastors in an urban context who have sacrificed a lot because of, of what they're convicted by and because of what they believe. They've been, their writings, their, their preaching uh, has been very influential to me. And so all of this sort of comes together. And, and I'll also say, you know, like Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil um, and, and, uh, yeah, and, 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 and a, few, a few others too. Um, just all of this kind of comes together and starts shaping like, not only am I convicted by all right, I can't be complicit in this one situation around, around the podcast episode, but I'm convicted by maybe my entire theology, <laughs> maybe my entire idea of church is wrong. And that, and listen, I'm saying this about me. Okay. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to paint, you know, whatever I, I'm saying this about what, what I was experiencing and what I grew up thinking was you had to go to church, no matter what you did, you had to go to church in, in New York city. You know, the, the, the biggest thing in this church for me was faith and work. What's it mean to be a good Christian in your job? That's it. How can you be a good billionaire? You know, how can you be a good mm-hmm. Christian on wall street? How can you be a good Christian and that was always a conversation. It wasn't, should you be a billionaire? Should you be on Wall Street? It was, well, how can you be more Christian in the, in the space? And I'm, I'm probably dumbing it down a, a little bit. And I'm sure if some folks hear that, they'll get angry about it. But that's just, you know, how, how I'm receiving this. And, 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 um, and so all of that's sort of, sort of shaping, shaping me now. And I'm thinking, I still, I still want to be in ministry I don't want to be in this ministry. I don't want to be in this vocational full-time ministry. And so what does that look like? And, you know, for me, it looks like the neighborhood that I've loved the day I moved to New York City, Hell's Kitchen. Uh, it looked like for, a, you know, a small community that could never financially support me uh, with a New York City salary. It looked like ministering and, and, and in, in embedding myself in a neighborhood that, uh, for, for a century has had probably the most complex race relations in New York city, the most complex, uh, relationship with, with the LGBTQ community, um, the most complex relationship with the homeless community. Um, and so that when, when, when all of this started hitting me, you know, to your question, like, how did you, you know, why did you do that? Or how did you do that? It just, it, it, it came to a point where I had to ask myself, like, am I, am I okay? Am I okay staying in this one setting 
or I'm pretty sure I disagree with uh, the bulk of things that that we're doing, whether it's theological or not. Just the the manifestation of church, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not cool with this. Or do I stay? Do I stay because of the paycheck and it's comfortable and it's familiar? Or I just try to do something else, and that's the, you know the bivocation thing. You know, get another job to to so that I can have a paycheck and. Um, and still just put my, sink my time into this neighborhood, into the, into these people. This love of the people, um, this dissonance that you felt internally that I'm, I'm at this place and I disagree with so much of what I'm seeing, or at least how I'm receiving what I'm seeing. And there's an element of faith here too. I mean, what, what's your conversation like with, with Jesus at this point? Man, it was, it felt crystal clear to me that I needed to, to leave, um, I would say, you know, more than a conversation with Jesus, it was what I was trying to attune myself with, with the Holy Spirit and the movement of the yeah, Spirit. And, yes. and, you know, thinking about, you know, when you sign, when I, when we had lunch uh, in New York, you signed my book and you put, you know, a verse from Joshua, don't be afraid, this fearlessness, yes. you know, this, you know, God is with me, you know? Yes. Yeah. And, and that's, that was the conversation in my faith was, yeah, like this in the grand scheme of things, me losing a paycheck, me changing jobs, me going, leaving church. It's not the worst thing in the world. You know, I'm what a, what a, what a, what a privilege that is. And so if, if, if I can't be courageous in that setting, then, you know, what am I doing? And, and that's, that's kind of, that was a conversation. And, and then there's, you know, there's the, and you, you read the, the story of the Bible and there's, there's just constant moments of do not be afraid, be strong and courageous. Mm-hmm. And, and moments of God is going to do this with or without you. <laughs> and, and so like you get to choose, like you, you want to be part of this. Awesome. But God, God's going to do this with or without you. Uh, and, and, and just kind of really all of that coming, coming together is, that was yeah. That was the conversation, oh, and I felt this sort of freedom, man. There's the there's the there's this, yeah. this 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 incredible pastor in in New York City in the Bronx, Bishop Ray Rivera, and he, he you know a, a big big focus that he's written and preached about over the decades is is captive theology and what 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 does it mean to be captive to to something? And I I felt like in this moment of 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 thinking about being strong and courageous of of the transformation that your book gave me, of these other voices in my life, uh, of this neighborhood and this this people that I, I was in, I, I just loved. It felt like I was freed from mm. whatever I was captive by, and I would say a lot of that was conservatism. Mm. Uh, a lot of that was this weird church belief of do whatever you want, but as long as you're on, you know, come to church on Sunday. Jamar, I know I, I ramble a bit, and so uh, that you know, to your question about the conversation with Jesus, and that that really is is what it was. It yeah. was it was it was seeing these moments of of strength and courage and fearlessness and and trust. And you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I have an incredible wife, and so you know, never in in these conversations um, with with God was my wife saying, but. We need a we need the paycheck or or but isn't this going to be you know it was all it was I mean she couldn't have been more supportive and yeah um and so I'm just so grateful for that. Well, I'm so glad that you brought up this idea of courage. Um, 
that is critical. So my second book, How to Fight Racism, Courageous Christianity, which I contrast with a complicit Christianity, right? And and so often as we look at the church's history with racism, it has practiced complicity because of fear, because of, if you want to stick with the, the alliteration, it's practiced complicity because of cowardice. And looking at the potential consequences, counting the cost and saying, that's not for me. And it's just all too rare, unfortunately, but Jesus said the path is narrow to take that path of courage um, because you lose what's comfortable. You lose what's familiar. Um, But what you also said is important because on the other side of that decision is freedom. And I don't think people who haven't made that decision yet realize the kind of freedom, the kind of liberation there is to say, I cut that loose. I I made that decision and I'm still here. Like it's okay. <laughs> and and now actually the world is much much bigger. It's a beautiful story. You've already been so tender with us um in in sharing so much of yourself. I wonder a lot of the conversations I have and a lot of the questions I get are from people who have had not your exact journey, obviously, but are now looking at conservatism, political, whatever the Republican Party has become, Trumpism, and they've got folks who are in it. They've got the father or the relative or the uncle or the friend or the coworker who they deeply care about who are deep, deep in it. Can you give us any perspective on how to talk to folks like that. I mean, is there is there any point to it? Should we just do what we do and hope they catch on at some point? Or if we are going to have these conversations, what's the approach? What's the mindset to have? Man, I I wish I could answer that perfectly, you know, and hand you three points and, and just knock Come these on. out. And- You'd be a millionaire uh, with this book. I know, I know. Uh, I, I, but I'll tell you, man, I'll just, you know, from my own personal experience, um, you know, by now, no surprise that my dad's conservative, uh, given, you know, the the relationship that I had with my work and how that connected to him. Uh, and so, you know, I think, and, and a lot of my family is, and um, I think a lot of um, my journey and my transformation has left some of them scratching their heads. Um, you know, why would you leave that job or why would you leave that church? Um, and, you know, I certainly have been told that they're worried about my theology. Um, you know, as I get, you know, closer to social justice issues and, and that kind of thing. Um, I will say in all of that, they nobody has written me off and I have not written them off. Um, I have approached it incredibly imperfectly where I would get in uh, screaming matches with my dad. Uh, and, uh, and often I was the one leading those screaming matches uh, because I was so passionate and just wanted to change him so badly. I can tell you that doesn't work. Uh, shocking, I know. Um, and so, uh, but rather than saying like, well, he's a lost cause or I'm not going to talk to him. And, you know, maybe he'll, maybe he'll see what I'm doing and and that's enough. You know, I don't hide anything from him. I continue to talk about the the things or the people in my life, but I continue to be in relationship with him too, about everything, about life, about 
my family and what he's, he does. And, and honestly, it's probably brought us closer together. Um, I haven't seen, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't come over to, to my side yet, if you want to say it like that. Um, but, uh, it, it has been less, it's, it's been less tenuous, I, I, I think. And, and I one, one thing I'm, I'm, I'm happy about is that it's not that way because I've, I've, I've like shielded myself or, or, or said less things. Um, but it's, it's more for me, the biggest turning point was realizing, and it sounds so whatever simple, but we're all on a journey and we're all at different points in that journey. And I think you, you actually talk about this a bit in, in your second book, but you know, where I'm at today, I want everybody to be where I'm at today, but you just heard my story. <laughs> like that it took what a journey. You know, it took a few <laughs> decades to get to get to where I'm at today. And I've got more decades ahead of me that I need to grow and 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 continue changing. And and so for me to look at someone who maybe believes what I used to believe and think like today, you know, stop stop thinking that and get over here. Um, mm-hmm. man, it's just it's it's not I mean it's not it's not fair to them. It's not realistic. Uh, and so I, I really like kind of a question you asked me was, you know, were, were there any in college, was there anybody who was sort of trying to persuade me otherwise? And, you know, to be honest, there weren't many voices in my life at that time who were, or, or who were even showing me another way. But as I got more and more settled in New York city, before I ever, you know, came across your book or knew who you were, there were voices in my life who were maybe not trying to persuade me, but were showing me different things, giving me different sides to different, different stories, different policies, different issues. And I, as I think about where I'm at today and maybe friends and family, um, I think about, well, what's it mean for me to be a voice in their life? Not necessarily a, a, even a persuading voice, certainly not a patronizing voice, but what does it mean for me to just be a voice and to bring them into my journey, what I'm doing, what I'm struggling with, what I believe and, and inviting them into that conversation and into that journey. And maybe a seed gets planted and maybe they ask a question that leads to another question that leads to another question, or maybe they're like, all right, you've talked about it enough. I'll read the color of compromise, you know, like, (laughs) like, like, you know, those kinds of things. And so for me, that's, that's, yeah. that's for me, that's, that's it. And, you know, I, I, I feel, I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's enough. Um, I know it's certainly a privilege to say like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to push him too hard and whatever. Cause you know, it, 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 it's, it doesn't affect me or, or, or that kind of thing, but it affects you. It affects my friends. It affects, you know, people down the street. And so um, I don't want to, I don't want to be silent. I don't want to be non-existent in these conversations. And so what's it mean to be that voice? What's it mean to be the That's pebble right. in the shoe? I keep telling folks like we we can't change hearts. <laughs> I mean that that is God's work, but we can be witnesses. Uh, and we must be. Um when you when you mentioned that in some ways your relationship with your father is deepened, I wonder if that's because you you feel freer to bring your 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 authentic self and who you truly and fully are. Um, and sure, there are folks who will reject 
parts of you or all of you for showing up fully, but it also opens, it's really the only way to open up opportunity for the deepest kinds of relationships. And I, I think there's, there is a persuasive power to that, that, um, they may not agree with you, but they know where you stand. They may not agree with you, but they know what you're about. And that's just honest. And that's, I think what we owe each other is to be honest, right? There's a lot of, um, different ways folks have said this over decades, but talking about racism, black people are often like, you know, at least in the South, they're honest about <laughs> their racism. You know, it was the place of, of slavery and they were honest about what they thought about the place of black people. It was the place of segregation and they were honest about what they thought about the place of black people. It wasn't good, but it was honest and you could deal with a reality, right? Um, hopefully in a positive way, y'all can come on, ride with me on this analogy. Um, in a positive way, we can be honest. I may not agree with them, but I know who they are and I know what they're about. And I think that's really the only way to, to be that presence or that voice for people. Um, and I'm, I'm big to say, you know, there's, there's a difference. There's, there's toxic relationships that we shouldn't um, subject ourselves to because it's really unhealthy for us. Um, but if there are ways that we can show up as, as our authentic self and disagree, but, you know, not, not dehumanize each other in the process, well, maybe over the long course of a journey, we'll see a change. Yeah. Amen, man. And, you know, I think about just my own, my own context and, you know, the idea of trying to connect with, with someone based on my job or politics or whatever. Today, I don't feel that pressure. I'm just mm. trying to connect with people mm. and that's it. And it's not based on what they believe or what I'm trying to impress upon them. It's just, what does it mean to, to, to say something I said earlier from, from, from Jose Humphreys, what does it mean to see that other person, truly see that person and see their experience, see their journey, see their story as something sacred. And whether it's something I agree, you know, the journey I agree with or not, but how do I still see that as part of this incredible sacred history that we're part of? Um, and not trying to connect with them because of policy A or politician B or, or this, but just see them, see them as Jesus would see them, see them as sacred. And, um, you know, it's, it, it sounds nice. It's much more difficult to, to do that. I know, but, uh, man, if that's something we could strive for, yeah, I think it, I think it, we'd see some, some real beauty, beauty come out of it. Well, talking about sacred stories, this is a sacred story. Um, Chuck, you've gifted us with your story. I am humbled by your honesty and your candor um, that you would trust us with this. And I invite our listeners to, to hold this story as sacred, to realize that your own story is sacred, and to be able to see that Whatever side of the political spectrum someone is on, we are all made in the image and likeness of God, and we all have a story. And the journey may be different, but it is a journey. Um, I think you've helped us all become a little bit more empathetic, um, hopefully a little bit more patient. And I just want to thank you so much uh, for sharing your sacred story with us here on white nation under god thank you chuck i appreciate that and and it's you know i, I trust I, I trust you and 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 
people who follow you. And, and so I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And, you know, one thing I have learned, and this has been my journey. And so if I could, you know, maybe this is my final point to, to how we engage relationships around us is, you know, what does it mean to be honest? What does it mean to be transparent about your story? And, you know, I could, I could have hid a lot of my background and you would have never known that I used to be this, you know, this person 10 years ago and we'd still be friends and, you know, whatever, but, um, you know, you would have never known that. And maybe it would have saved me some face, some embarrassment, some shame, but, you know, you, you, you said this, I'm a different person, but that doesn't, doesn't mean that my history doesn't matter and mm. for good and bad. And so for everybody, you know, watching and listening and, and, and thinking about this, I just, you know, what does it truly mean to be transparent in these relationships in your own life? What does it mean to be honest and, and, and trust, you know, and, and courageous in that uh, it's not an easy thing, but, but I appreciate for, from you, just the guidance, the friendship, the, 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 the words that you've shared to me, to so many others that I've been able to consume, you know, on the side. And, uh, it's, it's been a really significant part of, part of my own journey. So, well, thank you. I think that was a wonderful final word and thank you to our listeners and our viewers for journeying with us in this podcast mini series, white nation under God. America.